All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. And our special guest is Richard Rose. Richard started a movement by being the first to market sophisticated branded perishable foods made from hemp seed to the masses, not only providing the vi- not only proving the viability of a new industry, but changing society's stigma about hemp seed as well. His work proved provided, excuse me, has provided a roadmap for passionate, innovative, values-based leadership in business and society. The revolution in food he started became hemp's first billion-dollar industry and today is 90% Canadian hemp. For over four decades, Richard has been a leading innovator in the natural food industry with such soy foods as tofurella, cottage tofu salad, le tofu, and le tofu, which were all sold around the world. Then in 1994, he pivoted from soybean to using hemp seed, an older and far more nutritious protein source. He was the first food professional in hemp foods in North America and paved the way for those he inspired to follow. By 2002, when the U.S. market for hemp seed foods collapsed for years due to an ill-advised suit by a fiber group against the Department or excuse me, the Drug Enforcement Administration, for legalizing 90% of all hemp products, Richard had invested $2.5 million to make hemp seed foods a new industry. Flush with cash after selling his Rella Good Cheese Company for $3.7 million, and with more time to devote to the industry, he instead moved to Amsterdam to retire and compose. The lawsuit cost him eight years of work, $2.5 million dollars and one of the justices called it a gratuitous ruling in his dissent. Richard's interest in hemp continues for food and medicine, especially CBD. In 2015, he created the first open source brands, Nobaco, an artisanal CBD hemp foods for, excuse me, an artisanal CBD hemp buds for smoking, along with Not Pot, which is the same type of brand. He also created Canisearch, which is opening consumer access to research for cannabis for 64 medical conditions. The Medicinal Hemp Association, the Hemp Follower Products Association, and the Resurrected Hemp Food Association. So from Colorado, United States of America, Richard, how are you, my friend? Great, Miguel. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad I'm glad we're here doing this right now, man. It's good. <laughs> indeed. Indeed it is. So that is a... That's a Short bios are short bios, and there's a lot of information in that, and I know there's even more. But let me get to these questions. We're going to start off with there, man. How's the, what's the temperature like over there? And I, where are you in Colorado, man? You Denver area? <clears throat> I'm in I'm in Boulder. Um, I, I don't know what I don't know. Let me look at my watch. See if it'll tell me. Well, it's 41 out. Yeah. Oh, that's not. It's above freezing. That's nice. That's it's nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I can live with that. So. You've done a lot of stuff, and, and and like I said, that bio is jammed packed with stuff. And as I'm reading it, I've looked, I've looked you up, and I've and I understand what those things are—the can of search and and the things that you're doing now. But I want to go back to when you pivoted from tofu to hemp seed, and your thought process, and and what you were thinking. What kind of vision did you have? You know what I mean? Because those are those are in the 1980s and 90s. Those dollar amounts are different than they mean in the 2000s and 2020s. Yeah, the dollar amounts are different, and uh, the social consciousness was quite different. You have to understand that hemp f- 
foods in the 90s, even in California, was way more stigmatized than marijuana is today, uh, even in prohibition estates. So um, it was uh, it was it was risky, but I, I you know somebody had to do it, and I turned out it, I was the one. I had since 1980, I'd been making commercial foods from soybeans and um, tofu, you know, Americanizing these foods, cottage salad and ice cream and, and burgers and things like that. And then when I realized how nutritious uh, hemp seed was compared to the soybeans I've been using all those years, uh, I, and taste better and more fun. Uh, I pivoted to making all my foods, uh, with hemp seed and still Americanizing them. So it was a cheese, a hemp cheese and a hemp burger and a hemp bar and hemp chocolate chip cookies and all this stuff. So that was the trick was to Americanize, uh, these weird foods. Tofu was, you know, America's most hated foods, food in the, uh, Reagan eighties. Yet I was able to get on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing uh, uh, companies in 1993, selling America's most hated food in the Reagan 80s. Um, so, you know, it, that provided the network, the sales and distribution network for me to plug hemp foods into in U.S. and Canada. So it, it was in thousands of stores within a few months uh, in both U.S. and Canada back in the 90s. And, um, you know, I, I worked with soybean and I love soybean and I love soy foods, but damn, hemp foods is way better. I mean, hemp seed is a food uh, people, when I would do demos with tofu products, people would s crunch their nose up and begrudgingly taste it and then say, I don't like it, uh, which is fair. And, uh, but with hemp foods, they would go, what? It's made from what? Hemp? And they'd eat it and they'd love it. And they, hey, Bob, come here, try this. It's made from hemp. You know, and they get all excited and they, they want it. They want, they buy a package and take it home. And, you know, and they became evangelical and proselytizers of, of the, the, uh, the hemp movement. And um, we also developed programs so that people in their towns, small towns across America, could finance their activism by selling hemp foods in their town so we we would they could buy it online and if they bought a full case they got wholesale price which was half off that would allow them to be able to sell it to um, whatever gas stations food stores grocery stores you know health food stores fairs uh street markets whatever in their town to make money selling hemp, hemp foods. And uh, we gave them a whole display case and all these, you know, over a dozen products and our cookbooks and our brochures and all this stuff. And it would be the most profitable square foot in the, the store. That's pretty cool, man. Because when you're talking about like trying out the foods and, and you know, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's some things in hemp and hemp is one of those things where it's associated with marijuana, right? When people think of it, they, they kind of think, okay, it's close to the marijuana, right? right. And it's, it was nice to see that in the 80s and 90s, you had interest, right? You had interest. Yeah. Now, um, in 2002, as, as I read that, read your bio and the Drug Enforcement Administration lawsuit. Right. How did, what happened there? Well, um, we'd been making 
serious inroads and using food, hemp food. Uh, you know, I was on the Roseanne show, her yeah. afternoon talk show and made hemp potato salad for millions. And Jay Leno did three skits on our products. And it was in uh, details magazine and Rolling Stone. And, and uh, we were making really, you know, we were, it was in thousands of stores coast to coast. We were making serious progress in reintroducing and normalizing hemp uh, in, in America so much so that it had to be controlled, uh, slowed down by others for nefarious reasons. So DEA, because we had a no THC policy is zero THC policy in our foods for, in order to calm consumer fears, um, DEA decided that, well, shoot, if they can make hemp foods uh, free of THC, then then we might as well just um, legalize it as long as there's no THC, for, you know, for in a product for human consumption, which legalized 98 percent of the industry outright. Uh, no max THC because um, everything's imported. So it all goes through customs back then. And uh, it was a perfect opportunity, though, the, the interpretive rule to pretend the DEA was trying to kill hemp foods instead of legalize 98 uh, percent of the industry. So um, against my advice, I was the chair of the Food and Oil Committee and I was uh, founder and executive director of the Hemp Food Association and doing the most business and work in the space. And I said, yeah, this is a really bad idea to sue DEA over this. and You should just take the win and, and move on. And um, and they did. They sued and it killed hemp foods for two and a half years, almost took out Canadian hemp with it. Uh, mm. And uh, the industry really never recovered. It killed the golden era, golden age of hemp foods where there were four different chip brands and, you know, a handful of bars and all kinds of foods before the suit and uh, far fewer after the suit. They, you know, they, they sued and the, the hemp food market died right at the time I was ready to, to dive into it with both feet and a ton of money on the table to do it with. And when I sold Rella and, um, you know, the market died and we had little old ladies afraid DEA was going to raid their health food store in the middle of, of Idaho and arrest them all and crazy stuff like that. It just totally the the perception that DEA was against this, that they foisted on the public was the thing that killed the market so the thing they accused dea of trying to do is the thing they actually accomplished so instead of pushing hemp foods harder and faster i just, just said forget it and i moved to amsterdam and retired and started composing so even at that point in time did you still find the efforts that you've made worth it man well yeah i mean the effort was worth it and and even losing the two and a half million dollars in eight years of work was worth it um, because today that that segment that I pioneered is is hemp's biggest segment. It's 80 percent of uh, it'll be 80 percent of U.S. hemp, according to the National uh, Industrial Hemp Council in 2027. It's 90 percent of Canadian hemp. It's driving the most acres. It has the most consumers current and potential. It has the most retailers current and potential. It, you know, food, grain, hemp grain for food is is uh, is a legitimate uh, part of the, the food industry today. So that wouldn't have happened if the food guy <clears throat> didn't pivot to hemp seed 
way back when and spend two and a half million dollars, including a quarter million dollars on PR and national advertising and stuff. You know, we were in thousands of newspapers, stories about the company and the products and uh, hundreds of radio shows and and uh, even on Good Morning America, CBS. Those are big. Morning Those and, are and, really big. I mean, like you said, yeah. the Roseanne Barr show, you know, like, you know, that was a huge show. That was that was like if you were on those shows, you made it because there the internet wasn't as powerful as it is today. It was right. television and radio. And, right. and after that, it was kind of like the internet was there, but also satellite radio. So to be on those like Good Morning America is that's a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. And I was also on like the Danny Bonaducci radio mm-hmm. show and the Man Cow and um uh Ted Nugent and uh you know, all of these, these, uh, you know, the big radio shows of the day. Yeah. It was radio and TV is what it was about back then. Um, it was really pre social media. And that's significant to get that much play at that level in that time frame. So, so you went to Amsterdam to hang out for a bit. Yeah. For you. How was that? Oh, great. I mean, it was the perfect move. And, uh, you know, I started composing there and working in Reason, uh, a software program for composing. Okay. And, uh, you know, Blues Tronica developed a, a genre called I call Blues Tronica, which is um, sort of EDM 4-4 uh, dance beat with the live electric guitars and, and uh, you I know, Howlin' Wolf lyrics, uh, samples <laughs> and stuff, you know, and stuff. So... You know, I had fun, and then I moved in 2006 back you know, here to Colorado, and uh, and then about seven years ago, I moved to Italy, and I came back last year, and uh, so I'm here now. And you've got different missions. You've got different things going on. Can you, I want to ask you, can you expand about on those things? Like the hemp nut, the hemp nut, and the Richard Rose report. yeah. Well, the Richard Rose, so uh, retirement almost killed me. It's really hard. To I can, do I understand, man. I, yeah. I understand. I, I like, we were talking pre-recording and, and, and I retired from the, from the military of the U.S. Coast Guard at the age of 46. How old? Was <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. It, I was 45. So I was 45. I was 45. Right. But then you <laughs> but have it's nothing weird. To it's do. a strange thing to go through and you don't right. really know what to do it until you get there. And that's why I'm kind of like, your story is really interesting because you put your life effort into this, man. You put it into there and then you had forces that were out of your control, shut it down in a way that, that impacted international commerce. Like you said, yeah, it pretty much shut down the Canadian hemp industry. I mean, yeah. that's a big deal. And then and it was a lie. And it was all a lie. The, the reasons they had to do it were all a lie. They didn't have any skin in the game. It's easy to shut entire industries down when it doesn't cost you a penny. And it didn't cost them a penny to lose hemp foods. They were soap people and fiber people and retailers and the like, lawyers, and movie stars. And that stuff happens. I remember it happening with ostrich meat. I remember ostrich meat was about to come on big. I'm like, it was lean, really lean meat. And then... Pretty much the beef industry squashed it, from my understanding of what I've read. Is pretty much the cattle industry said, "No, we don't want competition. We don't want that kind of competition because it cuts into our profits." And then, and that's that's when um, those associations between business and elected officials 
can result into something like you went through. And yeah, well, you have to remember about the same time, the former director of the CIA under Clinton uh, um, became a lobbyist in the industry for the National Industrial uh, North American Industrial Hemp Council, NAHC. And uh, um, he, you know, so yeah, and then some other people entered the industry uh, from outside. The problem with the hemp industry is people today is that people enter it from other industries where duplicity and conniving deceit are rewarded. And, uh, and so they learn how to operate that way. And then they decide to enter hemp industry, CBD or D8 or nine or whatever. And, and they bring those ethics and values with them. And I think that's been a big part of the problem in hemp since 2018 farm bill passed. That is interesting. I did not know that about uh, the director of, would you say the North American Hemp Association? Yeah, North North, uh, North American Industrial Hemp Association. Yeah, James Wolsey is his name. He was going to speak. I remember that name, yeah. I remember that name. Yeah, right. Uh, he was going to speak. I, I catered the uh, the dinner that they uh, and unveiled him, presented him to the membership back in Washington, D.C. I think it was in the year 2000. Ralph Nader was the keynote. And I catered, it was all hemp seed uh, dinner. Um yeah, he was going to speak. Woolsey was going to speak at uh, NOCO Hemp Expo a few years ago, which I thought was a horrible idea. And, you know, the yeah, we don't we have enough problems without giving the CIA more power in our industry. And he was going to keynote at an expo there. And he uh, he ended up not being able to because he was being detained in Saipan on, on money laundering investigation. So. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You have people. I mean, the CIA is is a pretty evil organization, and the things they've done in the past, and to have them have their fingers in hemp is is not a a, a good development. It is interesting to see where uh, elected and appointed officials go when they leave government. It's 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 a you know they, there's there are regulations and laws about what they can do. It's just interesting to see how it goes, but. You went to Amsterdam, hung out for a few years, and um, came back to Colorado. Yep. And so was that fire reignited? Is that why you came back? Or why'd you come back, man? No, it was just time. I had to come back to the to the States. The, the situation I was in there changed. And um, so I came back in six, and uh, not much was happening, you know, in uh, in hemp. And back then, you know, the, the, the suit just ended in two, two years earlier and they, the industry was getting back on its feet. And, and um, I just, you know, I was playing in blues bands and, and Grateful Dead bands and, and stuff and uh, bass and guitar. And, and so um, I was content to just do that. And, and then uh, in 2012, uh, Amendment 64 passed in Colorado, legalizing uh, hemp and um, and uh, adult use marijuana. Uh, medical was already legal years earlier. So, you know, they, I started keeping an eye on it then and seeing how it was developing. And and uh, and then in 2014, that same group that uh, killed hemp foods for years over lie, uh, tried to do the same magic to CBD. And they tried to say that, you know, CBD was schedule one when it wasn't and, and all this stuff. So I had seen their handiwork in the 
you know, killing the birdseed market for us in 99 and then hemp foods uh, back in early 2000s. And now they're trying to do that to CBD, uh, which was an emerging uh, uh, an emerging segment uh, in the industry, an important one. And uh, and so I stepped up and started the Medicinal Hemp Association at the request of the three largest CBD companies at the time. And uh, that was to push back against, well, in this case, HIA saying it was schedule one and illegal and all this stuff, but also against other misinformed comments and, and articles and the like. So um, that was, that sort of got me back into, into it and, uh, and the medicinal hemp association. And then, um, you know, I started speaking at, at hemp expos and and uh, in Colorado and and, the, and then help get it legalized in North Carolina and help get the hemp program going in Hawaii get them on the right path and, and things like that so I sort of tiptoed back into it and then uh, once the farm bill passed the the, the uh, in 2018 the, the and and hemp seed was given grass status by FDA, uh, it just exploded. And so I started the Richard Rose report then to sort of have a tool to disseminate information and tool. It also was a, meet, a place for me, also as a way for me to write, you know, have outlet for, for writing and, and writing, you know, wrote over and a couple hundred articles on it and, 30,000 posts on CBD and hemp the last few years and uh, a bunch of free downloads and stuff like that. Everything I do now is free. I haven't charged. I mean, I charge clients because they get a higher quality of service from me and it's worth it to them and they don't mind paying it. But that's like a fraction of 1% of, of the people I, I help. And, uh, and it's all for free. All the downloads are for free and, and um, all this information is free just because uh, that's basically been my MO is to, to try to advance and progress the industry as best I can without worrying about making, uh, you know, monetizing every last cent out of every last thing I can possibly squeeze it out of. I understand. I understand, man. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you. There was something I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Um. So you're doing all this stuff now and, and this is what you're doing. I mean, would you consider this time, like if you were to put it, would you say this is retirement time or would you say this is just, there is no retirement. This is just what you're doing now. Like, how would you think about it? Cause we talked a little bit about before we hit record and we talked about when people retire, it's not as easy as people, like people are always looking forward to it, but when you get there, it's not exactly what you think it's going to be. And and I'm I've gone through it at a different age because I retired from the military and, and it is different. So what was that like, man? Well, yeah, retirement almost killed me because I you know, I personally needed direction. I needed a mission. I needed a, a, a you know something to to um, to use my passion uh, uh, with. And um, you know, I've been pro-cannabis and an activist since 1972 i worked on the first marijuana legalization initiative in california before i could even vote you know i could educate i could give money and i did that um prop 19 back in 72 so ever since then you know and i i was 
like most entrepreneurs my age, we got started selling our favorite flowers to our friends, uh, little baggies of, of dried flowers to our friends. In my case, back in the early 70s, 71 and two. So it, 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 retirement almost killed me until I started writing again. And, and once I started writing, I, I found a way to, to, use my active mind and uh and and what i know from the past to provide context for today's issues and hemp and cannabis and the like that's critical man that's critical because a lot of people don't have that context especially with what you got with what you're doing in the hemp industry because it's it's been a, it's been a, it's been under underground for a while and and you've been helping it come above ground and the context of what we've just talked about just alone and all the things you've done in the 80s and 90s media and radio and all that stuff, that's the context that a lot of people, I think, need to get when it comes to the marijuana hemp industry and, and what it looks like now and how it's being sold. Because sometimes it's like, hey, this new thing, but there's a history of it. There is there's a very, there's a very history. Very long history. I there mean, is. agriculture was like, many think agriculture was invented just to, to, uh, to grow cannabis in, in a controlled, you know, environment and, uh, you know, for fiber, for seed and, and maybe for medicine as well. So it, it, it's, it's as old as agriculture itself. So there is, so you would you would say that you'd you'd put the yeah your retirement almost kid killed me and it's uh it's cool to see you're not dead cool to see you're still doing this man you found yeah, the fire man well, you got the you still got the fire in those bones Richard you still got the fire in those bones man yeah it's true I, I it doesn't serve me personally to do so but there's nothing I can do about it and so I just ride it ride the wave you know when I say fire I mean like fire in the belly. You can say that too. We get bile bones, you know what I mean? Like you still got you still got life in you. You know what I mean? And that's what's funky about about uh retiring is that it's it's uh you the way you've lived for the however many years has totally changed. And your daily routine it, it's different. And and uh you do a lot of uh you do a lot of self-reflection. At least I have. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it, I was really sick when I moved to Amsterdam also okay. so, uh, mentally ill and bipolar. And I was very depressed and, and um, I thought I was going there to die, frankly. Um, and in a way I did it, my ego died. A, a lot of it died as death and and that was kind of really what I needed in my life. And, uh, and I finally um, got, got a control of my, my bipolar and kicked all the meds and just used cannabis. And um, like I have since the early 70s to control it, to manage my bipolar. So uh, I went to Amsterdam to die. Uh, part of me did. And uh, the rest of me flourished as a result of it. And, um, you know, if, if you... You're trying to be a better human and a better man and a better person uh, all the time. You you um, you appreciate those kinds of developments and and uh, and growth uh, is pay, pay, painful as it might be and as difficult as it might be at the 
other side of it, once you get through it, you're, you're grateful. That's, that's amen. Amen, man. Amen. I agree. That's cool. So let me ask you this. When, when that lawsuit happened, I imagine there were some people here that were saying, don't leave the industry, stay and keep working. And did you have some encouragement in that direction when people were just like what what happened like what was that what was no. things just fall apart for a lot of people or, or was there still some some core of of people there saying hey this is a this is a big bump in the road but we want you know what i'm saying we're going to keep going yeah well they might have said that but they couldn't because nobody was buying their products there was nobody wanted it on their shelf because they're afraid dea was going to raid them any second stuff like that so um what, what happened was um, it was mostly people with no skin in the game, people who are not in the, the food side or they weren't, you know, it was soap and fiber people and, and they had no skin in the game and they were not food people. They weren't food, you know, marketers for two decades like I was. So they saw it as an opportunity to mess with DEA and sue them and, and, you know, pretend to be David and Goliath taking on the big bad government. and. Um, I, uh, I saw it as, a, you know, it's just another rule uh, put on the industry by government, like so many. I mean, there's tens of thousands of the rules put on industry by government. This is just another one. And we can comply. Um, I had been compliant for years. Um, and uh, it could be done and it should be done. Uh, it'll increase consumer confidence in hemp foods and uh and I looked forward to it. I thought it was fine because it answered every investor's first question, which is, is this legal to DEA? And finally, I would be able to ethically say yes, because they, they specifically um, uh, went out of their way to do this interpretive rule to, to legalize it. So I was totally for it. I said, let's comply. Let's just do the work. Let's just you know, build the business. And if, and if something comes up later and they enforce it and there's some problem, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But until then, there's no damages, there's no enforcement, there's no problem. And instead you killed the hemp food industry and almost killed Canadian hemp over nothing. So uh, that was, so yeah, when I, you know, they would harass me at trade shows and, and stuff. So when I, said screw it and i left they, there's nobody saying no don't don't go um they all thought they knew better and and um you know they wanted to do what they wanted to do uh the consequences be damned and they didn't have any skin in the game there was no skin off their nose and um and uh nobody else was was like a food professional uh, you know, with degrees in marketing and food marketing and, and long history and rewards and stuff, but me, and I'm the one saying, yeah, don't do this. This is, and it was just such an opportunity for them. And they got talked into it by a half dozen lawyers and, and all this stuff. And it was such a lame suit that even at the end of it, justice Kozinski called it gratuitous and, and they it, it didn't even want to sign on to it because it was such a dumb suit. But it almost killed Canadian hemp in its early years and it almost killed uh, completely hemp food in its early years. So the Farm the Farm Bill Act in 2018. Yeah. What are your when you look at when you look at the, what we just talked about, the one that almost killed hemp in the early 2000s and then the Farm Bill Act in 2018, 
When you look at those two things, what do you see? The differences, well, you know what I mean? Differences, different. pluses, well, and minuses. Yeah. The, so the thing, the interpretive rule, 2001 interpretive rule by DEA um, basically said all hemp products are legal uh, as long as it doesn't cause THC to enter <clears throat> the human body. So that basically legalized the entire hemp products industry. I mean, we couldn't grow it yet, but I mean, if DEA was willing to toss us a bone in 2001 like that, uh, you know, we should have taken it and thanked them instead of suing them. By suing them, we made sure that they were going to mess with hemp every step of the way thereafter. And they did. In 2012, they had DEA agents coming to uh, Colorado hemp farms demanding they put up a 12-foot chain link fence with barbed wire and security and lights and all this stuff that, uh, you know, they were just going out of their way to make hamsters life difficult. And uh, they, they blocked the import of seeds in 14, I guess, for 15 for uh, uh, Kentucky, for instance, they had to be sued to release the seeds. And, you know, they became our biggest enemy. They didn't have to be, we could have thanked them for the, the, the bone they tossed us legalizing 90% of hemp and just gone about our business instead of, devastating it over some you know headlines and donations from uh, clueless consumers so you know i i remember reading an article and it was comparison between the bush administration and the obama administration and they were comparing the number of raids on dispensaries and they were yeah. far higher during the obama administration than they were under the bush administration yeah and it sounds like you were living like that's what you were that's what you're just talking about right yeah, well, that that was the marijuana side, and and um, yeah, the the geo cannabis reform has long been in the GOP wheelhouse, uh, ideological wheelhouse, not in the Democrats. Uh, Democrats gave us minimum mandatories, marijuana tax act of nineteen thirty seven, uh, controlled substances act with uh, uh, Nixon's help. Um, uh, it it. They're they're not necessarily our friends and the Democrats. Now they could be, but they you know Obama didn't do much for hemp and and uh, couldn't be bothered to uh, to legalize. So um, it the the same sort of thing that happens that they they the government until the until the farm bill of two thousand twelve the federal government made no distinction between marijuana and hemp. It was all high THC marijuana, even hemp, even fiber hemp. Um, so uh, they would just keep playing like like this is all marijuana, and and uh, it it it's been really tough to drag the federal government kicking and screaming into the twenty first century in this matter. I talked with a guy from Transylvania, Romania who owns a hemp, a premier hemp clothing company. And it's interesting because he felt the positive, like with the way you talked about the negative effects of the DEA lawsuit in 2002 and the, the impact in Canadian hemp, he felt the positive effects of that farm bill in Romania. <laughs> and he has yeah. an interesting, he has a really interesting uh, history with it because of, uh, of he, they went through communism, they went through all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff, and and here he is still doing that. So it's really, you know, it's powerful to see 
legislation in the United States impacting, of course it's going to impact, but when it comes to this, it can, it can come from a, something as from, from a situation that you went through, a situation you endured, that kind of thing can, can result in a couple decades worth of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like slowing yeah. down that time. It's, so it's fascinating, man. And, and, uh, you want to talk about the Richard Rose report? We can, sure. Yeah, man. What's, what, 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 so uh, tell, tell listeners, well, like, what do you do with that thing? So there, there's, a, there's, a con, there's a conventional wisdom that everybody subscribes to pretty much but me. And so if you... That's uh, funny, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, um, I have a bunch of articles there. About, you know, there's uh, the, the can, can of Search Daily news. And, and Can of Search Daily has... Uh, uh, tons of studies and emerging uh, things, uh, issues, and, and, and for hemp and CBD, uh, ten thousand a year posts on there. You can find tons of stuff. Search for whatever you want, um, and a bunch of downloads and, and, and articles. And it, it just is the idea is to give people a, a a rich, robust source of information that'll help them in their hemp journey. And I do it all for free. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, I started about 2018, I think 19, uh, and, um, it was just a way for me to write and keep my mind active and not get bored to tears. What else are you writing these days, man? You doing any memoirs or any, any autobiographies or anything like that? Um, any, any fiction, any. Yeah, I actually, well, yeah, all of that. I, so I wrote over COVID lockdown in Italy. I wrote, uh, um, uh, a memoir basically uh, yeah. about 550 pages or so nice. um, and uh, and then I wrote um, uh, how to start a hemp food business and uh, that'll be out in a couple of weeks I guess maybe okay um, well let's, that, let's go over that let's go over that let's go over that that's going out yeah that's coming out that, in what that February be, that's coming out in what February 2023 whenever I get around to finishing it you are Probably. laid back, baby. You are laid back, Richard. Richard's like, I don't even know when my book is published. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, I mean, it's just a PDF and I just put it out and I, you know, I, because I don't charge, I don't want to spend a lot of money printing and stuff. So, um, but it, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, I'm right. I wrote uh, how to start a hemp food business that is basically shows people how, why, and then how to start a hemp food business without land or much money or equipment or anything like that and it also has a ton of business advice from my years uh, you know things i learned along the way and stuff so that'll be out soon and then um i wrote fiction i wrote like the working titles breaking bud but it, i've been writing that for years now um probably have about 12 chapters of it um uh, about a, a breeder who uh a cannabis breeder who works for a university, a straight university, and he has to hide that all that. And, you know, and that sounds good, man. That sounds really yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I actually want to get back to it because, you know, I'm, I want to wrap up the how to start a hemp food business and all this stuff and get back to that one because it's more fun. Did you enjoy how you, are you done with the memoir? Or are you still working on it? Oh, it's basically done, but, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. It seems a bit, uh, um, I don't think, I don't Unfinished. know. If 
unfinished. No, I I just don't know if if it if anybody cares. What happened? Oh, I have a, I have a they care, Richard. A, That's why we're talking I, about context, man. People care. You've been around doing a lot of stuff, man. People care. Yeah, I mean, in theory, I guess. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, I, 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 I think they do, and I think that there's somebody reads it. But I, this thing is. I mean, I found this uh, cache of clippings newspaper clippings starting in 1980 um on uh, the work i was doing all this time and i was able to just um you know put put them in and and then give a little context what what it meant you know what this article did for us or or the context of it or you know things like that and and just do it chronologically and it goes through the years from 1980 to uh, maybe 20 21 or two or something so i have that but i i don't know it just seems sort of um uh vainglorious to put it out you know i don't know what's in that book man but i got a feeling you're probably honest about yourself when you're writing it and yeah it it, it the the stuff in it is is blow your mind and i'm afraid people will say i don't believe it i think he's making this up this is just too much stuff too much stuff he did and you know you can go back i give you the citation you can go back and i give you the article even i put there's a little picture of the article you can see it you can go back and pull it from the chicago tribune or whatever that day and see if it's real but it is and that that one is there is basically ready i guess i mean i just got to do an edit the new book the book on starting hemp food business i want to get out because i want you want people to start making money selling hemp foods and uh, and um yeah and a few there's a few other things i writing i have i write uh i write hundreds to thousands of words every day that's cool man i hope you publish it i hope you publish it i do i think a lot of people would like it i think a lot of people would like it I'll I'll buy a book of it, man. Because I, I want to, you know, the reason I want to I want to tell people my story is that I, it should have never happened. Right. Um, I was an un, unemployable dropout uh, with bipolar, neurodivergent, uh, no money. Um, uh, you know, it just it I it grace of God that it happened and. Uh, um, and I want people to understand that you don't need to have uh, every advantage possible to succeed. You can have a lot of disadvantages uh, in your life and still succeed. And um, I don't know if people understand that. I think people think they need to go to college first and they need to have millions of dollars first and they need to uh, uh, do all this stuff first. And they don't need to do any of it. They just need to get started. And that's one step at a time, foot one foot in front of the other, step after step. And it gets that's how you accomplish it. And I had no special skills. I was not better, smarter, whatever, more than anyone else. But I just had the persistence and I just did it, you know, one foot after another. And and uh, and I think others can do it, too. I, if I can do it, they can do it. I'm yeah, that and that's basically the thing I'm trying to get across with the the how to start a hemp food business is inspire people to believe in themselves. Amen, man. That's a mission in life, dude. That's cool. That's cool. That's very Thank cool. You. So, 
Were you raised with a were you raised with a religion or belief system or no faith? My mother was Episcopalian. My stepdad was uh, Mexican American, so he was Catholic. Um, I went to like you know uh, Christmas Mass and Easter uh, in the Catholic Church, and I I was an altar boy every Sunday in the Episcopalian Church, and. Um, and then the, you know, the, the schooling they do on after, you know, in the weekdays and all that. And um, I was baptized in four religions in my life, uh, Episcopalian, Catholic, uh, Mormon, and um, uh, Pentecostal. Okay. I got two of the four. <laughs> it, it's a race. <laughs> and it's they're race. You're right, man. It's grace. It is grace. I count on it every day, every day, baby. So that's uh. So, so you did. You and and I couldn't help but notice. Yes, I I was raised. My stepdad was Mexican American, so he was Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Because that you know Latin American countries in the Caribbean, there's a heavy Catholic footprint there. Heavy, very yeah. heavy. And yeah. um, I lived in Italy for six, seven years. I mean, I heard the bells every every hour, every day. So how how have you how have you viewed how did you the way you view the world changed since then? Since when? When since uh since you're growing up with with uh being baptized in four different denominations, yeah. and and God and Jesus, do you still view the world through that lens, or how have you changed, and how do you view God and Jesus now? Yeah, I it's definitely evolved. I um. I, you know, I was never a fervent believer. I, I was too logical to, um, to, to go there. And I appreciated, uh, so it was back then it was more intellectual today. It's more, uh, metaphysical, I guess would be the only term I can use in that it's, I, I appreciate and honor, uh, the, the synchronistic things that happen in life uh, that are for the good. And I, um, that's where I see God now. Um, I, I don't, you know, I see it in my, I mean, I can only speak from my life experience. And so in my life experience, um, I see the hand of God everywhere. And in fact, I use that term. Even my atheist wife has now come to appreciate uh, when I point out the hand of God in our lives and has come to identify it as well and said, oh, that was the hand of God. And yeah, it was, you know, it was the only way to explain it. And, and that's my way of, 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 of communicating uh, a, a, this concept of, of God in our lives Um that is it's sort of metaphysical but it, it's you know it's not it's not doctrinal it's not it's not it's not biblical it's not scriptural it's it's seeing the way god is in my life uh minute to minute hour to hour day to day it's very it sounds like it's very personal and, yeah it is and appreciating it i mean i could say oh look what the look what I did. I'm such a, I'm so smart and I'm so clever. I was able to do this. And the fact is I look at it and go, oh, that was a hand of God, man. I had nothing to do with that. Um, if we're honest with ourselves and, and, um, 
and then once once you get there you you are bound to start appreciating and and glorifying uh that kind of um uh, work in your life amen i can i can understand what you're saying i understand what you're saying um let me ask you this next question do you believe in a life after this life and if you do do you think there's some form of payment due upon death yeah i have a harder time with that i i I think there is something, but I don't think it's the things we've been told yet. Okay. Um, I I think that there is a like a cosmic river that we we come back into, and um, I, I, you know, I, I it's there's there's enough there's enough strange things like those children, like a, an eight year old who can identify who killed him in his past life and where the body was buried and you know, that kind of stuff that there's just no explanation for, that there must be some connection between this life and the afterlife. All the models I've heard described to me in churches and reading and elsewhere, I have not really the one that seems to ring true for me. What do those models look like? Well, like what do you, what can you, generally speaking, you know what I mean? Generally well, speaking, you know, oh. they, they, you know, they say, you know, um, heaven and hell and, curly gates and in like the, what you alluded to with um with uh you know a debt to pay you know saint peter and and you know you've been a good boy you can come in you've been a bad boy you got to go down there and that kind of stuff yeah, I, I know I, what I, you're talking about man is, is that funny it's that term when i get to the pearly gates of heaven saint peter will be waiting there for me right and peter, we'll see right. what happens if i get right. thumped in the head or if he lets me in we'll find out <laughs> it, it sounds you know it sounds like a joke but it gets actually i think it gets taught when people take it kind of seriously like yeah yeah well they teach it at, us as children and it it's you know it's it's a fine model for children sure that you know that gives them a way to relate to it that they can understand um but as i get older i just you know i i, I wonder about about a lot of the dogma and doctrine stuff they taught us in uh, catechism and Sunday school and all that all those years. I understand, man. Um, I didn't grow up in a Catholic school or, or uh, parochial school. I grew up in public school. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, I know people who have gone to Catholic schools and and some of them have turned into atheists and um and that's going to happen even in, you know, whatever schools, but it's, 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 um, I understand what you're saying when I hear you say, I believe in something, but it's not quite what I hear from the pulpit. And right. I understand. I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. My, my, my wife was raised uh, Catholic and uh, and she's an atheist today she's even in the catholic school and learned latin and you know all of it and and um she's an atheist today catholic schools typically provide a really good education but i also know that they can be i mean the 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 the, the sternness the rigid the rigid yeah. uh structure of it right. almost right. uh whew. Yeah, scary yeah, for me. Stories. When I'm thinking about it, when I'm thinking about kids, I'm kind of like, whoa, that, that that almost seems like a way to push them away. If, if you're, if you're, where's the love in some of these things? And yeah. it's not just the Catholic schools. It's just, it's just a, an approach 
period from we could just I'll just say the pulpit. People yeah. from people, really, because it's people that are doing it. Right. And they and they know better, but they they they're lazy or whatever. I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. So um I know you said you've got a few things coming up this year. You want to go over what you got coming up for the rest of the year or just at least the first half of 2023? Well, you know, I want to get this book out so that I can quit thinking about it and uh, how to start a hemp food business. And Oh, wait, you said you're uh, going to start a hemp food business. No, I, I wrote this book. <clears> oh, well, the book on how to start it. The book on yeah. how to start. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah so we to teach others to how to get into it uh, easily. And, um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I just, there's, there's a lot going on. I'm back in the here. I'm, living here now I was in Italy for years so um I was less accessible accessible and and um you know there's the hemp industry is it has a lot of dark clouds over it right now and it needs a lot of work and um I, it, people like me who don't charge no matter what quality of, of information we provide we we are looked down on because we don't charge so uh, I just I see the grifters and the charlatans and the, the noobs um, more aggressive. And so they're going to they're going to have more of an impact on the industry. And that's why we so many farmers lost so much money the last few years in hemp uh, because of folks like that. So I don't know. I think that for the year, I just want to get this book out and get the hemp food association, uh, rolling better. It just, I just fired, fired it up again after a couple, uh, a couple months ago, started in 1998 and then closed it when the market died. And now it's time to bring it back. And, uh, it's the second oldest hemp association, uh, of any kind. It's the only uh, hemp food association, uh, in the world. Well, I hope you put out the memoir too. Okay. I hope you put out the memoir too. I okay, really I'll hope you put out that memoir because you have the news clippings to back it up. That's yeah. what's cool. Richard, that's what's cool, man. People will care. All right, man. You want to, you know, you want to, you want to say anything to listeners, anything, man. Well, anything. You know, so this is, this is cannabis and Christianity, right? So yeah. I, I want to uh, talk about the fact that my God doesn't make mistakes and when he put the cannabis plant on this planet, it was not a mistake. It was, in fact, a, a gift, uh, a, a supreme gift for uh, for us, for humans and animals. And, uh, um, you know, maybe their God makes mistakes, but mine doesn't. And and uh, and the, the, the man that mankind could not see this for what it was in the last hundred years is uh is going to be one of the it's going to be on the level of slavery and you know the number of seizures that had to happen because we didn't have access the trillions of seizures the uh the the thousands hundreds of thousands millions of deaths due to cancer uh you know the the, the pain and suffering millions had to endure because of man uh, outlawing uh, one of God's gifts to to us. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in. I agree completely. I agree completely. It's a part of creation. It's a part of creation. And, and when you pull that piece out of, when you pull the accessibility of that piece away from people, there's something, there are many things that are going to try to fill that void. Many things. Right. And they're going to come in the forms of tablets, 
pills and just crazy stuff. And we were talking earlier before we hit record and we were talking about a little bit of the synthetic cannabinoids and you brought up spice. And I remember being in the military and, and getting going through training sessions when that stuff rolled out, they're saying, don't get near it. Don't even try it. It's legal. And, and all those offshoots come off and they're not the real thing. They're not the real thing. That plant is the real thing. It, and the term devil's lettuce that <clears throat> I want to laugh, but it's also kind of like when I hear, when I hear a, that from the pulpit, I'm kind of thinking, well, where do you think, do you think the devil creates something? I mean, if you, if you believe, if you believe the book that you're reading, it says he is a father of lies. He comes to lie, steal, and destroy. Right. And that banning and, and making marijuana illegal sounds like that. Yeah. And I hear, and when I, when I, when I read scripture and I, and I see Jesus see, say, my people suffer for lack of knowledge. Mm. That's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And when you talk yeah. about quality of life and life, and what the marijuana plant can do for people and the hemp plant. I I, 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 I know that there's differences. I'm going to use just one marijuana and hemp. You know what I'm saying? Cannabis can't, covers it all. Yeah. And yeah. then there's cannabosum. And, and that's where I'm like, how, how I, I just hear passionate, like the devil's awesome. Like who are you giving credit to? Are you giving credit to the devil for making something? Right. Or are you, are you just jumping on an idea that is wrongheaded? Yeah and i agree with you richard i do i it's a part of creation and i view it that way and i'm thankful baby i am thankful man amen all right well, thank you very much for your time richard it's been it's been a real pleasure man same here this is the conversation cannabis and christianity podcast my name is miguel torres and i'm your host and our special guest is the richard rose back in america colorado love you all Bye now.